There's always in the background employers complaining about not being able to find the workers they want, but it's particularly loud today. No doubt you've all seen the headlines recently about a so-called labor shortage. The thing that I always suggest that people say is when they hear an employer say, I can't find the workers that I need, always add the phrase, at the wage I want to pay. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. No doubt you've all seen the headlines recently about a so-called labor shortage uh, striking the American economy these days. Uh, Everybody's all lazy on unemployment or something, and so nobody's taken any jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And the story is everywhere. You know, employers complaining about not being able to find workers. And, you know, Goldie, I I think that There's always in the background employers complaining about not being able to find the workers they want, but it's particularly loud today. Uh, And, you know, there's good reasons for it. Uh, As the economy accelerates, virtually everything is in short supply, including lumber. And, you know, people are scrambling to fill the spots. You know, they, you know, they laid off or fired workers going into the pandemic, and now everybody's scrambling to get them back. But the most harmful part about this narrative is that uh, it's not true. Well, (laughs) is it is that the unemployment benefits that people are getting paid are making everyone lazy and uh, not wanting to work. And, you know, if we just kept people poor and more desperate, everything would be better. Uh, for everyone. That is the thing that's just a titch annoying out there. And it's mostly nonsense, of course. Yeah. The underlying message is that people aren't suffering enough and that if only the American people suffered more, you know, companies' profits would be a little higher. Exactly. It would be easier for corporations to exploit people. This narrative about people not suffering enough and therefore it being bad for business is super widespread. And I think it's really important for our listeners to um, push back on that narrative. And um, we have an absolutely fantastic person to help us do that today. Our old friend, uh, senior economist and director of policy at the Economic Policy Institute, Heidi Scherholz. Heidi is absolutely one of the most expert folks in the nation on this subject and was, among other things, the top economist at the Labor Department under the Obama administration. Uh, And it will be great fun to chat with her. So let's go to Heidi. My name is Heidi Scherholz. I am a senior economist. I'm a labor economist by training and the director of policy at the Economic Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. So, Heidi, let's start at the very beginning and, and let's just assume that our listeners have, haven't been looking at the news very, very carefully over the last few weeks. Explain to us from your perch uh, what you've been seeing with respect to all this talk of labor shortages in the news and businesses not being able to find workers for hire. Talk of labor shortages is 
absolutely everywhere. It, there, it, one thing that's interesting is that there's sort of always a chorus of employers saying, I can't find the workers that I need. Sometimes it's louder, sometimes it's quieter, but it's always there. But it is incredibly loud right now. And I think one thing that is going on is that while we are not right now seeing widespread labor shortages, I do think that the data are indeed flashing labor shortages in very isolated sectors. So that last part is key, the um, sort of narrowness of these labor shortages that we're seeing, the tons of stories and everyone talking about labor shortages is disproportionate to what's actually going on. But there is a little something going on in isolated sectors right now. So which sectors are uh, most affected? I, You know what? It's pretty much just leisure and hospitality. So leisure and hospitality is the sector that has restaurants in it. It's the, it's the lowest wage major sector in our economy. And that is where we are seeing some evidence of labor shortages. And would it, would it be useful if I actually talk about how, how we identify labor shortages? Sure. There is no index of labor shortages that BLS puts out. You have to look at data to, that will point you to, is there some evidence of a labor shortage? And the key footprint of a labor shortage in the data is very fast wage growth, accelerating wage growth. And the idea behind that is really straightforward. If an employer can't attract the workers they need, they will raise wages to poach workers from other employers who will in turn raise wages to retain their workers and on and on. So that's that's the marker of a labor shortage. You see accelerating wage growth. In recent months, wages in leisure and hospitality, they have indeed accelerated at a rate that would suggest that there has been some tightening in that sector. And I am not at all suggesting mm-hmm. that wages in that sector are too high, not even close, but we have seen an acceleration in recent months. Right, because after decades of slow wage growth, slower non-existent wage growth, particularly with low wage jobs, this is a good thing. I mean, in Seattle, we saw that as great prior to the pandemic. Sure, there was a, a labor shortage in the restaurant and hospitality industry. They couldn't hire enough workers um, because they were growing so fast. And so they were pushing wages up way past our $15 minimum wage. So from the worker's perspective, this is great, right? Yeah, this is. And, and as far as COVID goes, it had to happen at some point, because one of the things we've seen over the course of the COVID pandemic is that wages and leisure and hospitality just plummeted at the start of this and stayed very, very low for the first 10 months. And so at some point, wages had to accelerate to get back on, you know, to sort of get back onto their pre-COVID trend. And one thing that's true of the data right now is that even with the wage acceleration that we've seen in the last couple of months, wages in leisure and hospitality right now have only just regained their pre-COVID trend. So right now, they're roughly where they would be if COVID had never happened. So it's not at all that wages are too high. They're just made up what we lost. Yeah, Heidi, can I ask you a kind of a, a narrative question here? Um, mm-hmm. We're talking about a labor shortage, but if you're an employer 
and you can't you can't hire enough workers because your wages are too low and other people who've raised wages higher are hiring the workers is that a labor shortage or a wage shortage that's a very good point right it, it, no that's a very good point and the the thing that i always suggest that people say is when they hear an employer say i can't find the workers that i need always add the the phrase at the wage I want to pay. Correct. And that's really how to identify labor shortage. Like, is it, are we seeing employers not being able to hire workers at the wage they want to pay in the sense that they have had to increase wages to attract workers? If right. we know that, that employers yeah. really could get workers if they would raise wages. And so they're making that choice to not raise the wages and then face a labor shortage potentially. So that's so that's a, a key phrase to always keep in mind. That is something that we're seeing going on right now, but it is again, it's not it's not reaching any sense problematic levels. Wages have just been restored in the, in restaurants to where they were if COVID had never happened. Yeah. And so uh, you know, as a business person, I also do want to just underscore some of the dynamics that are going on here from the employer's point of view that may not be completely obvious. It's not, the challenge for employers is that when you are in need of, let's say 10% more workers uh, to meet the demand that you face, uh, the challenge isn't that you're gonna have to pay that extra 10% of workers a higher wage, it's that you'll have to pay everyone that works for you at that new wage. And you know, if you've been operating your restaurant or chain of restaurants, successfully filling positions at $2.13 plus tips, and now it takes uh, $15 an hour plus tips to uh, attract the incremental worker, you're gonna have to go back and raise all of the people that you were employing up to that new level. And, and so that, that obviously that makes it expensive when wages go up, right? Because it's not just the incremental worker that you have to pay more, you have to pay effectively everybody more. And in fact, your experience in existing workers may in, insist on an even higher wage than it takes for you to hire that next incremental worker, right? Because if I've been working for you for five years, I'll be pretty pissed off if the new worker gets 15 and so do I, right? Yeah. So yes. Yeah. I totally agree. And that's that's a key source of the wage acceleration because then yeah. people with who do have the workers will have to raise their wages to retain the workers that they have, and you get that spiral. So that's that's totally that's exactly right. And that is what we've seen that restaurants right now have not been able to hire at the extremely low wages that prevailed at the worst of this recession. That's right. They've had to raise them back up. But, but to be clear, Heidi, they, they are hiring, right? Isn't, aren't the job gains disproportionately concentrated in the restaurant and hospitality industries? That is a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like it's been really missed. There was this in the conversations about this, I feel like that point has been very missed. In April, job growth was really disappointing overall. But when you look by sector, leisure and hospitality was 
the one sector where way, where employment growth was what you expected. And so in, in April, overall, we added 266,000 jobs, but we added 331,000 jobs just in leisure and hospitality. So it was all the other sectors which where you're not seeing labor shortages, where you're not seeing accelerating wage growth. It was all of those other sectors that saw such disappointing job changes in April. And that really points to the fact that, okay, restaurants, other businesses in leisure and hospitality, they really did have to raise wages to attract workers. But when they did that, they were able to attract workers. They actually right. saw that it wasn't the those labor shortages weren't impinging on their ability to hire workers. They raised wages and they got the workers that they needed. Employment growth was was as expected in that sector. If you need more workers, you raise wages, you get more workers. That is what we are seeing right now in the leisure and hospitality industry, despite all this talk that, oh no, this is really slowing things down. Yeah. In fact, it it's speeding up the economy. <laughs> yeah, employers are 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 upset because uh, for the first time in forty years, we're actually seeing a well functioning labor market. Yeah, <laughs> they've been accustomed right. to it not functioning. To, right, to, to being able to exert undue power over over workers to keep wages low. Yeah, well put. Like we know that in normal times, our low wage labor market is not a well functioning labor market. It is not perfectly competitive. Employers have a ton of power to suppress wages. There is this moment here where things are functioning better, you know, as as employers need need workers, they're having to pay more to get them. Again, I want to go back to it's not like the wages in this sector are unreasonably high or even as high as they should be. They're still only where they would be if COVID had never roughly if COVID had never happened. But it is, you know, it, it's it's a positive thing that that workers are are at least back on that trend. And I think it's worth saying that you know, in order for the economy to be functioning. I think in a highly constructive way and in order for the democracy to be functioning in a highly productive way, the normalized wages for people in the hospitality industry almost certainly need to be someplace between 50 and 100% higher than they currently are too. I was just looking at some numbers of um, numbers on the working poor and something like thir thir this is even before COVID yeah. hit, 13 million, more than 13 million workers who work full-time year-round earn less than 200% of the poverty rate, meaning they are in poverty or near poverty. So it is, it's just striking just how much employers aren't doing That's right. to ensure that people have you know, a reasonable standard of living. So leisure and hospitality, the industry's booming, they're hiring a ton of workers, wages are going up. Uh, what's the rest of the labor market look like? Are we seeing that pushing up uh, wages dramatically elsewhere or were the other sectors still lagging behind? So one thing I will say is I wouldn't yet characterize leisure and hospitality as 
booming, just in the sense that there's still a massive gap in like they're they have seen strong job growth recently, but are still way down below where they were before the recession hit. So there's still a lot of ground to make up. But they there's in recent months seeing stronger job growth than than other areas. You know, we're still seeing broad job growth. The, the overall story is we're seeing job growth, but there is still a massive gap compared to where things were before the recession hit. There's still a ton to make up. What I see in the um, broader labor market is a story of we just don't have yet enough demand for workers, enough demand for work to be done. We see really across the board a big gap in the labor market, jobs really down from where they were before the recession hit, things growing, but just still a you know, a, a huge amount to make up. So that's that's the overriding story. It's not a people don't want to work story. It's just in general, the, the biggest driver out there is we don't yet have enough demand for work to be done. There is this one sector, leisure and hospitality sector, where demand is in this short period outstripping supply, but that is not the broader story in our labor market by any stretch. So, so if we're still suffering from a shortage of demand, then uh, slashing unemployment benefits, uh, th that would be a little crazy, right? <laughs> it is, it makes zero sense. I just, it is terrible economics. It's cruel, first of all, you'll, you'll, you know, there's millions of people who will have their benefits cut off while they either can't find a job or can't work because of things like care responsibilities as a result of COVID or like serious legitimate health concerns about COVID. So you'll you'll increase the suffering of those folks, increase people living in poverty. So it, it has the cruelty aspect to it, but then it, it's also just terrible for the overall economy because those benefits are supporting the spending of those workers. We know consumption is 70% of our economy. You know, you are these states, and there's at this point over 20 of them, states who have said that they are likely either are or are considering turning down federal unemployment insurance benefits because of this, you know, misplaced concern that the UI benefits are keeping people out of work and damaging the labor market. That money was coming from the feds. It was an injection of cash into their economy, turning that down when there, we still have a big demand shortfall. It's just terrible economics. I just, it's hard to think of something that is, is, is sort of a worse decision that a governor can make at this point. I'm curious, Heidi, from your perspective, this was an unprecedented crisis and an unprecedented economy the past 14, 15 months or so. Indeed. Do you think there are go going to be lasting changes to the labor market as a result of this? Uh, are we, is this just things will eventually get back to normal or are we seeing some sort of uh, larger reassessment of the value of work and uh, employment in general? One thing that I know from having lived through more than one recession now is that it is always a big narrative that oh things are totally different now this is the new normal there's something that's deeply structurally changed as a result of this recession and it's rarely true like people were 
definitely saying that in the aftermath of the Great Recession. And, and as we sit now, it's actually hard to come up with five or six things that actually really changed as a result of that recession. Like what happened there is that the jobs that came back looked pretty much like the jobs that were lost. I mean, there's always, of course, some long run structural changes, but it wasn't massively affected by that recession. I think that's by and large going to be true about this one too. Although I do think there's one thing that will be different is that, I mean, who knows how this will actually play out, but I believe there will likely be more telework among white collar workers. And so that will have some effect on things like business travel, dry yeah. cleaners. Like you can, you can come up with some, some yeah. things that are going to be affected, but I don't think it's going to be massively different. Yeah. So is there anything that we haven't covered, Heidi, that you think we should? Well, one thing is the effect of unemployment insurance. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yes. Or maybe not. Yes. I'm, I'm getting that question everywhere. Yeah. So it could yeah. be like, yeah, yeah. okay, with all this talk of labor shortages, one of the things that, that people have jumped to immediately is, okay, this is a huge problem and it's because of pandemic unemployment insurance benefits. And so in order to answer that question, when you dig in the data to see if that's true, what you find is that unemployment insurance benefits are very unlikely to be a major driver of what's going on here. So one thing that um, points to that is if you look at what kind of workers benefit the most from pandemic unemployment insurance benefits. So one of the things with the pandemic programs is that you get not just benefits calculated by the normal formulas, but also an additional $300 per week. That $300 means a lot more to low-wage workers than to high-wage workers. So you would expect if unemployment insurance were keeping people out of the labor force, that it would be far more likely to show up amongst low-wage workers. But in fact, that is absolutely the opposite of what we're seeing. Low-wage industries are the ones that are coming back the fastest. It is middle and high wage industries that are seeing the most sluggish growth right now. That is goes absolutely against the idea that unemployment insurance is what's keeping people from working. And I think the other things that are more likely candidates are, we know there's lots of care responsibilities as a result of COVID. Right. School, like over a quarter of schools are still closed. So that's one thing keeping people out of the labor force. You also have like serious ongoing health concerns that many workers have. One of the things you see is that um, as vaccinations go up, surprise, surprise, employment also goes up, which I know there's causality going in both directions there, but it really does suggest that, you know, people are staying out of the labor force until things get safer for them. So there's there's a lot of things going on, but the the data are not screaming unemployment insurance is a big driving problem right now. And I'll I'll go even further to say though that it is I mean we we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but one thing we know is that Many jobs and face-to-face services like restaurants are just unambiguously worse than they were before the recession hit. They are more stressful, they're harder, they're more dangerous than they were before COVID. So a well-functioning labor market 
would see wages rise in those sectors. Like if a, if a job is harder, if it's more dangerous, then we should see that be addressed in the well-functioning labor market by higher wages. But we, I mean, we talked about this, but we do know that our low wage labor market is not a well-functioning labor market, that businesses have a ton of power to suppress wages. But one thing that may be going on with unemployment insurance right now is that it's giving workers a little bit of room to not be so desperate that they have no choice but to take a job no matter how poorly it pays. And in that sense, that unemployment insurance is actually making the labor market run more efficiently. It's actually making it run better by by, um, giving, you know, like sort of balancing the power out a little bit between workers and and employers. Right. Giving workers, uh, among other things, the space to go find a job, if not for a different company, maybe even in a different industry that pays better. Right. And I, I think that that is is. I think there's likely something there, but I will. I, I do also want to fall back on the. I I still, even with that, do not believe that unemployment insurance is a really driving factor here. Otherwise, we would see you know employment growth in low wage sectors being much slower than in high wage sectors, which is not the thing we're seeing at all right now. So that that's still true that I don't think unemployment insurance is a big driving factor, but it could be sort of uh, playing that role of helping the labor market operate a little bit more efficiently right now. Yeah. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely terrific. Thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute delight. Yeah. We'll talk soon. All right. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. So Nick, I, I think this is all a classic example of your definition of economics, you describe it as a story about who gets what and why. Exactly. And and the story here is that uh, workers are getting too much and so they're not working. Exactly. So we need- That's wrong. (laughs) That's wrong. That's wrong and bad for everyone. And if workers were just more desperate and poorer and more afraid- then that would be easier for American corporations and that would right. be good for everyone. Right. And and in their defense, in, in your defense as an employer and a and a capitalist, the past 40 years have accustomed you and your capitalist buddies right. to uh, having outsized power over workers right. uh, in and using that to suppress wages. So, you know, you can understand why coming out of this pandemic, uh, employers should have every expectation that workers will come back at the same low wages that they had before the pandemic started. That's right. Um, and so it's like, oh, no, what's wrong? We, we you know, they want $15 an hour. Yeah. Um, well, that's <laughs> turns right. Turns out they always wanted $15 an hour. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we just didn't have more. to pay it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody's uh, b- business plan contemplated continuing to pay people $2.13 plus tips, right. not $15 an hour plus tips. And so there are a lot of, uh, corporate CEOs who are very, very sad about this latest development. Here's a great example, Nick. 
about how, how this plays out. This is from my my home state of Pennsylvania. On the other side, yeah. though, in Pittsburgh, there's an ice cream parlor. Clavin's Ice Cream Parlor was having trouble hiring workers. They couldn't find enough people to be able uh -oh. to open seven days a week for the spring and summer rush that was coming up. And so they they the the minimum wage in Pennsylvania was is seven dollars and twenty five cents an hour. Yes, That's the federal minimum wage. And they announced on March thirtieth that they would be doubling their starting wages from seven twenty five an hour to fifteen dollars an hour. And and you what know what happened? happened? What happened? <laughs> Suddenly, no labor shortage. This is a <laughs> quote. It was instant. <laughs> Overnight, we got thousands of applications that poured in. It was overwhelming. <laughs> because, oh, golly. Well, yeah. What, what did you think? People didn't want to work for seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah. It wasn't the unemployment. Seven twenty-five an hour is too damn low. Yes, exactly. And fifteen dollars. I'd argue fifteen dollars is too low it's too. too low. But yeah. it's twice as much as seven twenty-five. And yeah. you know, if you are a capitalist, if you believe in markets, yeah, this is the way the labor market is supposed to work. Right. If you're having trouble hiring people, if there's a shortage of workers, and by that I mean you can't find enough people to fill the jobs that you have open. It has to be because you're not paying enough. <laughs> Pay more? Yes. Pay yeah. more. Supply and demand. Yes. And yeah. and like I said, over the past 40 years, the labor market has been broken. Supply and demand hasn't played the role it's supposed to play yeah. in raising wages. And now, you know, as Heidi pointed out, one of the things that that minimal that that unemployment benefit does is it it helps fix a broken labor market by right by addressing that that power imbalance and providing a little bit of countervailing power on behalf yes. of workers for a change to allow them to force up their wages to where they should have been all along. Yeah. In any case, it was great to chat with Heidi. And uh, just remember, listeners, it's not a labor shortage. It's a wage shortage. So in the next uh, episode of Pitchfork Economics, we're going to be building on our discussion of wages with Heidi Scherholz uh, with a discussion about some really exciting new research on what drove wage suppression over the last 40 years with Larry Michelle and Josh Bivens of EPI as well. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.